Hi, this is Frankie Pace. Welcome to The Inner Mind, my new podcast that I'm starting. Uh, I'm going to be using some older podcasts until I really get rolling with this show. Uh, I have a lot of people that I do interviews with. I have artists, I have poets, I have comedians, I have writers, singers, magicians, jugglers, uh, politicians, even a doctor. Um, it's going to be interesting, I hope. One of, one of my favorite uh, comedians I'm going to interview right now is Joey Kohler. Joey uh, started out uh, with us on Long Island many years ago and developed into a fine act, a fine act. He's also a warm-up act. He does the Martha Stewart show. Well, it's not there anymore, but he did do it, and numerous other shows. And he's got a great talent and a great personality. And you young comics, if you're listening to this show, you're going to learn a lot from this kid. Uh, just a tremendous talent. Joey Cole. So let's, let's listen to it now. I love my wife and kids with all my heart. That's what I live for. I really do. I love them. But we don't get along. <laughs> we don't. And that's the whole battle between men and women because women will never understand that men only want four things out of life. And ladies, I'm sorry I'm being so blunt. And guys, I'm sorry I'm giving up our secret. But all men want in life is four things. We want to eat, sleep, poop, and have sex. That's it. If it doesn't fit into one of those four categories, ladies, we really don't care about it. And ladies, if you're here tonight with a guy who's telling you anything different, he is lying to you to get to one of those four things. That's uh, the great Joey Cola. Very funny guy from Long Island. You may have seen him on a Tonight Show. You may have seen him on uh, Letterman. You may have seen him on the Martha Stewart Show as a warm-up back for Martha Stewart. And uh, he's here right now, Joey Cola. So, Joey, what's new? Yeah. That sounds hey, like doing, man? that sounds like my career. <laughs> How you been, man? Not bad. Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Uh, you've been a busy kid, man. Uh, working with Rosie O'Donnell's a warm-up act. You went on a road with her. Who wants to be a millionaire? David Letterman, Martha Stewart show. Taking ass and taking names, my friend. Yeah, just for laughs, Montreal. Very good. I'm very proud of you. Thirty years I'm doing it now, just like you, man. We started out in the clubs together, and who knew we'd we'd still be going at this at this uh, stage <laughs> in the game, you know? You having fun? I'm still having fun. That's the main thing, man. You got Main gotta... thing. I'm still, I still get a big kick out of making people laugh. So, uh, who inspired you to get going? I remember in the beginning, you used to wear a hat. I, did uh, somebody wearing a hat? That came from my impression of, of Burt Young, Paulie from the Rocky movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For a little while, you know, when a young comedian starts out and has an impression, the hat was my crutch. I couldn't leave the house without my hat. <laughs> you know, that's my big bit, my hat. <laughs> you know. But, uh, who inspired me? Well, as a kid. You know, we have family parties, and my family parties, like Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, my Uncle Ralph would play guitar and, like, a Casio piano, and my father and my mother would sing, my Uncle Angelo would tell jokes, my Uncle Fred would sing, all my relatives would sing and dance and tell jokes, and they'd yeah. get drunk, and it was great. <laughs> so we had, our family parties weren't just sitting around a table, and we ate a lot, but they weren't just sitting around a table, it was dancing and singing, and we had the coolest garage parties and basement parties, and... You know, my Uncle Ralph is uh, is still around, and he still plays guitar at the parties and stuff. But, you know, my Uncle Ralph and uh, my parents, they handed a four-year-old a microphone. and said, Joey, tell the joke. Joey, tell the joke. <laughs> so I told the joke, and I got attention from making the, uh, you know, the grown-ups laugh. Yeah. <laughs> so the attention is uh, 
positive affirmation, and then uh, you feed on that. So at four years old, at three years old, they handed me a mic, and I kept on trying to get attention that way. Then as I got older and I would complain to my high school friends, they would laugh at me, complaining. They'd say, Cola, please. <laughs> and, uh, and I got attention that way, so I did it through high school. and my teenage years, I was making people laugh in school. And then uh, as I got older, I would actually write jokes and go to Eastside Comedy Club and a bunch of different comedy clubs and watch guys like you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and learn that, you know, you can make people laugh en masse. <laughs> and get paid for it. I was working at a, I was going to CW Post College, working at a Timebird factory in Hop Hog, and then uh, and I also wanted to be a comic because when I was doodling on my college notebooks, like you, you know, you know how kids would doodle and they'd and they'd make like you know rocket ships and this and that. I would write names of comedians down: George Collin, Richard Pryor, Frankie Pace, Richie Minavini, Rob Bartlett, Bob Nelson, you know, all the comics that I knew. Right, right. And um, I always wanted to, to be one, you know. So anyway, I went down to this Richard M. Dixon's comedy club, and I would watch other comics. I made friends with John Bizarre and Dave Feynman and Bill Freiberger and Jim Myers and Bartlett and Hawthorne and those guys. And Jackie Martling was a big inspiration because he was booking a lot of rooms at the time. And um, I actually got on at Richard M. Dixon's about twice before it closed, twice or three times. I never got my name on the wall. That was a big thing. You get your name on the wall. <laughs> yeah, when, I um, remember that. When you, when you kind of graduated at Richard M. Dixon's, you know? Yeah. But I never really did. So, um, but Richard M. Dixon knew me. You know, Richard M. Dixon was a guy who did a Nixon impression, and he, he ran a comedy club. So, so um, I went there, and I, then I went to Richie Minavini's comedy club, and I was at, the, at the time, I was going to college and working at a Cambridge factory making $65 a week minimum wage. I was making $3 an hour. So I was going to college and I was sleeping and, you know, getting like two hours sleep because I'd get up going to college then go to the Cambridge factory and then go to the comedy clubs at night because I really wanted it bad. Right. So I wasn't sleeping, but I was, you know, I wanted to be in the clubs. Anyway, <clears throat> I go up on a Monday night audition at the Old Eastside Comedy Club and I did like five minutes and I didn't kill, but I did okay. But I come off stage and Richie Minavini hands me a $20 bill. And he says, hey, kid, I really like what you did there. <clears throat> Can you come back tomorrow or next week? And I go, is this $20 mine? He goes, yeah, come back, I'll give you another 20 I'm like, I worked all week for $65, minimum wage, carrying 100-pound bags of flour at an Italian bread factory in Hop Hog. I got on stage and talked for five minutes, you handed me $20. And said, you get your ass, I'll be back. <laughs> I came back and I started working on my act, working on my act, working on my act, and uh, before you know it, I was working Pips in Brooklyn because I watched a documentary on HBO about Pips. It was done by Seth Schultz, and I saw it on HBO. I saw that Seinfeld got a start there, Dennis Wolfberg, Joan Rivers, Steve Landisberg, right. Robert Klein, right, uh, right. Rodney, uh, Robert Guillaume used to sing there. It was called Folkways, Folkways Folk Club, but then he changed it to Pips. It was the oldest comedy club in the country. So I wanted to work there, so I went there. Well, first I called him up and I said, can I work your club? And I talked to Marty Schultz because it was George the father and the sons were Marty and Seth. So I called and I talked to Marty and he goes, where else do you work? And I said, I don't really work anywhere else. He goes, well, when you work somewhere else, then you can come back here and work here. But then I called the improv in New York and I said, hey, I want to work your club. And he said, where else do you work? And I go, well, I don't really work anywhere else. So then I knew, I knew quickly that I had to lie to him. Right. And I called him back and he says, where else do you work? And I said, the improv. And I called the improv and he said, where else do you work? And I said, Pips. <laughs> I said, so they both said, okay, as long as you work Pips, you can come work on club. <laughs> and the improv in 1944 says, oh, as long as you work, uh, you know, as long as you work the improv, you know, Pips says, as long as you work the improv, you can come work Pips. 
<laughs> nobody called and checked. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> then I would just lie to him and tell him I worked these other clubs, but I didn't. The only one I was really doing was Dixon's and Eastside Comedy Club. And you you were working with Rosie for a while too, because she picked you up when she got her show, right? Yeah, yeah. When Rosie got uh, her show, <clears throat> um, I, I actually, you know, I started warm up. I've been doing warm warm up eighteen years and stand up thirty, but and it's a whole different thing. I mean, you have to be a stand up to be able to do warm up good. Um, Warm-up comedy is, uh, warm-up TV shows is a whole other thing. It's, it's a <laughs> show. I had already warmed up John Stewart's original show, and I was leaving the, Le I was doing a Letterman spot in 1996, and my manager's phone rang, and it was Rosie, and she had started the show in 1996, June 10th, and um, the phone rang on the 12th, right. and she had used Susie Esmond to warm up the show, Larry Amaros and Angela Scott, and they really didn't work out, so Rosie called me and said, I heard you warmed up John Stewart's show. Is there any way you can come and do mine? I said, well, what kind of show is it going to be? Is it going to be, at the time, Sally Jesse Raphael was on and, and, uh, Ho and uh, Geraldo Rivera, and they were throwing chairs at each other and stuff. I go, Rosie, is it going to be a violent show? Is it going to be, he goes, nope, very Mike Douglas, very Merv Griffin, and I want you to run it like a comedy club. I want, I want the audience to have a lot of fun. I said, well, if you let me go, if you let me loose, I'll do stand-up and we'll, have fun, we'll shoot couche balls, and we'll get the audience very involved, because that's what I want. Yeah. So on June, um, I did, well, no, I did let him in on June 13th, and then the 14th of June, I started warming up the Rosie O'Donnell show, four days into the show, and it went on for six years. That's terrific. Yeah, and then when that went off the air, Caroline Ray took over for her, I only lasted with Caroline for a few months, because um, I had other other things I was doing for uh, Food Network, and a lot of stand-up booked in, and, uh, and Caroline was, uh, the show really didn't didn't go. It was canceled after a year. So yeah. I kind of saw the writing on the wall, and I left that before and moved on to a couple other things. And uh, the Jane Pauley, Living It Up with Allie and Jack, and Millionaire Show. And I went to, uh, I went to uh, you know, Marriage Ref with Tom Papa and Seinfeld, and then uh, and on to Martha Stewart for seven years. And that just ended uh, two weeks ago. She, uh, she really liked you, because I saw a video, uh, there's a video on YouTube, I think it's CBS did a special yeah, on you. CBS morning, Sunday morning. Yeah. Did a piece about warm-up guys. And, and uh, she, she said you are a stand-up artiste. She called me an artiste, warm-up artiste. Because, <laughs> um, you know, like Rosie, Rosie, you know, I appreciate everything Rosie did. I mean, she gave me a boat and she treated me great. But a lot of times when people ask Rosie, hey, we like your audience, where'd they get the energy from? And she would say, you know, we give them Drake's cakes. <laughs> now, which was kind of a kick because to me because it's like oh, yeah I'm really busting my ass up here making this audience laugh and you're gonna you're gonna give the credit to the Drake's cakes <laughs> no I mean uh, here I am sweating like crazy but but Martha Stewart took it to another level and she really gave credit to warm up artists you know warm up artist and she realized that it's not only her show but it's many shows any show with a live audience there's a warm up guy there working and a lot of a lot of the stars and the hosts don't like to. A, they don't like to have warm-up guys, or they don't like to bring attention to it because they, I guess they like to take the credit for the audience being so good, you know? Yeah, But yeah. Every, every show where there's an audience is just know that there's a warm-up person, male or female, especially sitcoms, that, that's out there really busting their ass trying to keep the audience bubbling for two, three, four hours sometimes. Uh, it's a rough job. I did it once. Uh, uh, I, w I was with a, uh, the agency out in L.A., and they sent me out to do it once, and uh, it was a kiddie show. I forgot what the hell it was. Man, I was jumping up all over. I, I was soaking wet when I got off. I said, yeah. this is a hard job, it's man. It's a lot of work, man. I mean, if I hit the lottery tomorrow, to be honest with you, first thing I would quit would be warm-up because <laughs> it's much difficult, much more difficult than stand-up because it's not about you. When we do stand-up, it's kind of about us, and we could do and say what we want. 
Right. We have no no boundaries. There's a lot of pressure, too. It's not about you. It's about the host. It's about the show. Right. And it's like you're inviting the audience in, whether it's the home audience or the people in the studio. You're like the butler at at the host's house. Right. You're welcoming them. You know, you want to give the audience their flavor and and welcome them to this person's house. They Uh, live by their rules. I mean, Rosie was very loose. Meredith Vieira on The Millionaire was very loose, but Martha was a different breed. She, you know, everything had to be on brand, and we had cooking, gardening, crafting, and a lot of stuff going on. And all my warm up and my jokes had to be. I couldn't make fun of what of her or what we no, were doing no, with no, brand, no, but no. I had to have fun with it. Right. You know? So, and you have to adhere to whatever the host's standards are and what they want. So. I watched one guy do he and he basically just talked to the audience and you get some of these people in the audience ask the stupidest question and as a comic you're you're biting your lip and you say God would I like to just <laughs> right right that happened to me I was like oh my God I, I I wanted to just run out of there you know they ask the stupidest uh, yeah it's crazy who do you find uh, was the most interesting person that you ever met in in the business the most interesting person I've ever met yeah. What do you mean as far as... Uh, Somebody that you that caught your caught your eye and you said, wow, that person is kind of like a role model to me or... Yeah, well, well, like I said before, it's my, my own relatives. But in the business, um, as you know, we're affected by other comedians, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my standard answer when people say, who are you influenced by? I say three Richies and a Dom. I say Richie Minavini, Rich Jenny, Richard Pryor. And right. Dom Herrera. Right. That's the easy answer. But, you know, if you sit with me more than a couple minutes, I'm going to say Frankie Pace, Rob Bartlett, uh, Daryl Hammond. You know, I, I helped discover Daryl Hammond, who was on Saturday Night Live in Florida years ago. And he did some great impressions, and he went on to become the longest running character on. Yeah. Cast member on Saturday sweet, Night Live. Sweet guy, and, too. And, uh, you know, just a lot of comics that we know. Like recently, we just lost another comedian, Rich Ramirez, yeah. passed away. Yeah. and. At the at the wake the other day, um, there was a bunch of comics in a room. Ted Alexandro and and uh, Mike Egan was there, and Melvin George, and and I'm I gotta be honest with you, I'm influenced by every comic I work with. I I am so every day I pinch myself and think to myself how blessed I am to be in a business where I'm working with these other human beings that are able to make people laugh. That's why, you know, a lot of people make fun. Oh, Dane Cook, he's not funny, or this one's not funny, that one's not funny. I don't say that. Because if you're on this planet and you got the, the wherewithal to be able to make people laugh and do it, then I think you're worth your salt, you know? Yeah, I, I believe that. I, the guys I don't care for are the guys that steal. The guys that... Yeah, well, <clears> that's a whole other yeah, thing. It's an, that's a, yeah. There's certain guys... I met one guy, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but... Uh, He's out in California, and I just—he just walked. I walked up to him, you know, and he said, "Hey, Frankie, how you doing?" I said, "Listen, you are a talented guy. You're lovable. Everybody likes you on stage. You have a great personality. Why do you have to steal material? How low do you have to go to steal other people's material? Why can't you write something, man?" And he just stared at me, and his agent looked at me, and I said, "What the hell are you looking at, man?" I was pissed off at his agent, you know. (laughs) Well, you know what? That's that's the thing. I. I mean, I love watching comics, but you also got to know not to be influenced by them. Yeah. You know, yeah. personality-wise and maybe how they set up a joke in their character. But, um, you that you know, you got to be smart enough. Like, I always carry a little, uh, for the past, I mean, 30 years, I've been carrying a pocket pad in my back left pocket and a pen. 
And whenever I see something or think of something, I write it down. I got the pad next to the bed right. for 30 years. And, you know, it's got to be organic. And I gotta, you kind of got to put a filter on yourself and know when that thought is being derived from something else, whether yeah. it's another comic or a play or a song or anything like that. Just so I do a bit in my <clears throat> act where I go, I, I like the winter for two reasons. First reason, the dog poop freezes, and I'm the only one who cleans up after the dog. And I do a whole dog poop thing. And then I go, and the other second reason why I like the winter is because there's no marathons. I hate you marathon people who put on your shorts and you run. You, you, you block up all the highways. I said, next year, do me a favor. Get 50,000 treadmills, put them in a room somewhere, set them over 26 <laughs> miles. The first one to win is the winner. Yeah, that's so true. Now, I do that bit in my act. The yeah. other day, I put on Tosh.0 on MTV, and he's got like 100 treadmills set up on a Santa Monica pier, and he's, he's doing, like, the whole thing is my act, like the bit from my act. Right. Now, I work in the city, and I work all over the place, and, my, you know, I sell my CDs and DVDs, and that bit is on there. Right. So I don't know, you know, who wrote for his show that might have heard that bit and said, I got it, let's, you know, let's make this bit come to come to fruition, and let's see what it looks like. Whenever you go it into... Stole, it was, like, stolen exactly the way I say it in my act. Whenever you go into the city, you are up for grabs. There are always writers yes. in the audience. I, many a time... I would be watching on some somebody on stage, and I would go right up to the writer and just take his pen away and go, what are you doing? I says, write at home. Don't write here. Observe and enjoy. Don't write here. Yeah, and you know exactly. he was stealing, stealing material. So yeah. it's a, you know what, if you're creative, you're going to be able to sidestep a lot of your own thoughts that you know might be derivative, and you're going to keep creating, and you're going to be able to observe and, and take something organically and... and uh, you know, add your your flavor to it and spit it out the way your character would on stage. What? Where do you see uh, <clears throat> Joey Kohler in in the next five years? In the next five years, well, <clears throat> uh, it is now. Um, I mean, it's May now, and uh, the Katie Couric show is starting up in September. Maybe I'll jump to that. And maybe warm up, start warming up that show. I continue. I'll continue. I'll never stop doing stand up. I'll continue to do stand up, and I'm also pitching a show for stand-ups, about stand-ups, um, I really want to capture what we do. Nobody's been able to capture it. I mean, even on these late-night late, late night shows, you know, they'll, like Letterman or Leno or whatever, they'll have a comic on once a week or once every couple of weeks. They'll put the comic on for four minutes, and then and then we sometimes won't even get billing. They don't even tell the audience who we are. Right, right. You know, I want to do a show where it's hosted, and hopefully by me, and it just features stand-up comics. Um, like a typical show would be like, you know, Robin Williams and then David Tell. And then with a band and, you know, like that. Just, I just want to, you know... Uh, kind of like what Catch a Rising Star was in the old days. <clears throat> yeah, like that. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be working <clears throat> on a show like that. Or, But in five years from now, I don't know. I hope, I hope, hope that I'll get my own show somehow. Um, but I'll still be performing live. Matter of fact, I just had a meeting uh, with a band. I'm going to inject some music into my show now, so make it make it even a, a bigger show. I got a seven piece uh, band, the orchestra, horns, and everything. Go get them, Joey. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to try to make it, you know, in a real good. That's live. good, man. You keep now, and I've been <clears throat> comedy thirty years. So. Keep you keep the mind going, man. Don't ever stop. That's a yeah, good thing. Yeah. Well, now I'm off from Martha now because her show is done. So now, I mean, I got I've been off a week and a half, and you would think that you would. You know, you can, you can go to one of two ways. You can turn into a plant, you know, and your mind could vegetate, and then, you, you you know, you get depressed and just sit in a corner and stare at a wall. Mm. Or you can you could use that time now and become creative. Most comics 
go the creative route and we start coming up with different ideas. So how did you like Just for Laughs? I saw you. Uh, I saw a video. You were at uh, Montreal. Was that? Yeah, yeah. I did Montreal. I think three times, and I did the Toronto Comedy Festival once. Mm. I loved it. You know, you go up there. The town really embraces stand up. When I when I did it. The one thing I liked, I mean, you comics go up there and they think, oh, someone's going to see me and I'm going to become famous. And yeah, for some know. people it does. I mean, yeah. you know, you're able to push and schmooze and, uh, you it, know. Uh, it's, it's different from the old days. In the old days, you know, agents came into the city. They hung out in the clubs because, I'll tell you why, this, the celebrities came in to see the comics. You, yeah. you, you could be a catcher rising star. I'd be sitting there watching Lenny, Lenny Schultz on stage, and on my right would be David Bowie, on my left would be John Goodman, and then on, across the way would be maybe four or five agents from every one of the uh, agencies, you know, trying to trying and to. They lock. don't care anymore. No, because they think stand up is watered down. And, well, it is. And everybody's so selfed up that they don't care about coming to watch a show anymore. All they care about is getting their own stuff on the internet and seeing how many hits they can get. Well, Rick Overton said it right. Years ago, <clears throat> there was only so many channels. You had to get dressed, get into your car, and drive to a club to see a show. Today, you could sit in your underwear with some popcorn on a Saturday night and watch uh, different channels that present comedy shows, you know, from Comedy yeah. Central to, to Gotham or whatever whatever else is available. Yeah, there's a million of them, you know? Yeah. But the thing is about stand-up comedy is that it'll always, it'll always keep going. I mean, oh, yeah. people still have an interest in seeing somebody live perform and being silly. I mean, it goes all the way to the court jester and the, and the, the king's castle. You it's know? true. It's true. I've been doing my stuff now. I've been doing some of my stuff is 30 years old, and yeah. it still gets laughs. And I, oh, I, my God. You're, 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 I'm not just saying this because you're on the other end of the phone. You're one of the funniest human beings on the planet. You really are. <laughs> oh, you, thanks. You transform yourself into this cute, lovable character. And you, nobody knows how to use their physical. Meanwhile, I'm a pr I'm a prick at home. <laughs> yeah, we all are. You know what? You know, you know, you use your head a certain, yeah. certain way. With with the, you know, you use your bull spot. You use your face. You know, I mean, you know who you are, and you really get the maximum yardage out of your physicality. Well, I I think what happens is I think what happens is over the years, this is what the young comedians don't understand. I mean, I worked with a guy the last week, and he says, I'm a headliner, I kill. And, you know, he did like an hour in front of me, and I I went into another room, and then I went up on stage and did my thing, and he came over and says, wow, I, I can't believe what you're doing. I says, look, I've been doing it for 30 years. You know, it gets to the point where there's no fear, and all of a sudden you become more of an actor on that stage. Yeah. You know, you know exactly what you have to do. You, you, you know could, the script. You yeah. Know? I mean, you, you know the script, so you right. know how to make it work. You could feel that audience immediately, and you can take command of that audience me immediately because you know, you know you know what sells in you. You know what kind of a person you are, and that's that's that takes years. You know, you know. People say, "How do you do it?" I says, "Well, you could do you could do comedy after thirty years of abuse." You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. you know plus, it's that still having that drive that you know to 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 figure out. Man, I saw you twenty times. I saw you ten times. I I saw you this place i saw you at that place and you know it's it's good that you, you keep on going i mean you gotta change you gotta add 15 20 minutes every time you come back to a place you know yeah yeah but uh, like i still love it. even even going on a road i gotta go to milwaukee to comedy cafe i gotta go to comedy cabana in myrtle beach and mm -hmm. go to this place laugh out loud in uh, san antonio and some of these road clubs are still great you know hilarities in cleveland it's just yeah hilarities hilarities is still there it works hilarities is still there 
Yeah, Nick Costas, yep. Is he still in that big factory that, that had the bleaches in there? No, that's gone. That was the the RTA bought that, the, uh, the transit system. You know, that... That was got a place called Pickwick and Frolic right downtown. It's a great room. You know, that was my idea about the, uh, the, the theater seats up front. I told him, I said, you got to get some theater seats and then put bleachers in the back. He thought I was crazy. He went out and he found a place where he found the theater seats, to, I guess, from an old theater, and he put them out there, and uh, it turned into a blockbuster, man. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. Now the, the new one he's got is even better. Yeah, well, good. Well, good. A couple different levels, and he's got another side room where, like, Sinatra-type people sing, and he's uh, he's got a great restaurant there. So Basil does it all the time. He's oh, Basil. Bad. Yeah, Miss Basil. He's great. Well, listen, Joe, it was really good talking to you, and I really uh, wish a great career for you. Thanks, Frankie. I, you too, man. You know, it's always great to talk to you, to hear from you. You're always an inspiration. i got to tell you, man, all through the years, you're always, you've always been one of the guys that I always looked up to and looked, and looked to the side to and just, just to watch what he's doing. And if I ever, if I ever really want to laugh, I pop in a Frankie, <laughs> a Frankie Pace CD or I Google you, and you never, you never cease to amaze me, man. You are... You're an amazing human being and a great comic, and it's an honor to know you. It really is. I really want to stick my tongue down your throat. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, thanks a lot. Hang on. I want to talk to you after the show. That was okay. Joe, Joey Cola, entertainer, actor, warm-up act, everything you want, all rolled up in one. He's hysterical. you got to see him on uh, joeycola.com. Check him out, and you'll love him. Joey Cola. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview that we did. And uh, I hope you learned something from it and tell your friends about it. Tell them to come and listen to The Inner Mind with Frankie Pace. Uh, you can also see me on my website, frankiepacecomic.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, uh, I'm on everything. I don't know. Just look around. I'm there. Love you guys. Take care.